problem is that we didn't see anyone in the marketplace really accurately predicting industrial production and manufacturing. So we set out on a study, and that's what John and I did, is we went in and we, we used that analytical modeling approach that I just told you about. And we went in and we discovered 18 to 20 different economic metrics that when we throw them into an analytical model, allow us to predict industrial production and manufacturing. This is the Thomas Industry Podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Thomas Industry Podcast. I'm joined by Keith Prether. Keith has delivered manufacturing insight to corporate leadership for over 15 years and is currently the managing director and partner at Amada Corporate Intelligence. For the last two years, he and his partner have worked on developing a reliable and accurate forecasting model for industrial manufacturing, offering insights into sectors from aerospace to computers and electronics. We sat down with Keith to find out how the model works and what's in store for the manufacturing industry in 2023. Let's get into the episode. Keith, you've been briefing corporate leaders for over 15 years on the economic outlook through manufacturing forecasting. Can you tell us a bit more about your career journey and how you ended up at Armada Corporate Intelligence? Yes, this is really interesting. And I'm going to go way, 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 way back to when I was a child. Okay, so my father spent about 30 years in the federal intelligence community. And that's where I learned and developed this desire and this love of understanding intelligence and creating analysis and informing people. And so um, I went through college years, thought I was going to take a career path in finance, pursued it, became a CFO. Uh, so I do have a finance background. But then in, in the late 1990s, I decided that I wanted to pursue this intelligence bit that my dad had done, but I wanted to do it for corporations. I had discovered being a CFO that executives needed the same level of intelligence, but they needed it for business and economics. So I started Armada Corporate Intelligence with my business partner in 2001. And you know, roughly 22, 23 years later, um, we're still reinventing ourselves every day. Still trying to keep, you know, ahead of, uh, of the marketplace, which is very challenging, but, uh, but we absolutely love it. And I'm, and I'm doing what, uh, what I had dreamed of doing since a child. That is an amazing story. And in, in our industry, we have so many different types of data sources, economic forecasts, different modelings. Um, I'm really curious what actually goes into, you know, your, the, the economic models that you guys developed in forecasting manufacturing growth. Yes, what's interesting, my business partner um, has a background with military intelligence. And so we were talking a lot, just the two of us in, in passing, about what goes into a, an intelligence forecast. And you know, typically when we look at mathematics, and I know you're you love mathematics and analysis, Kathy, as we were talking offline. Uh, but you know, typically when we look at modeling, we'll look at a data set like industrial production. And we'll just kind of look at the historical pattern of that. And then we kind of try to forecast forward how industrial production is going to move. We take a different approach and we say that there are things that move businesses. So raw material inputs, supply chain activity, consumer demands, there's both, you know, the supply and the demand side of it. And so we discovered that if you can take those inputs and those those pressures on those and those items that push on a business, you can better forecast and understand where that business is going to go in the future because of those pushes and pulls and the things that create demand and the things that depress demand. And so um, from that perspective, we then took that and an economic understanding and 18 to 20 different economic metrics. And we went and we took two years 
to throw it into this big blender and using uh, high-level analytics and statistics figured out how to build a model out of it. And so that's that's how we got to today. Fantastic. And Keith, our listeners, a lot of them came from manufacturing and um, a lot of them are also in uh, finance and economics. And could you walk us through a little bit more about the sectors that your model covers and how you select them? Yeah, so here's a little bit of a backstory. So I do have a large client, and that large client is in the supply chain and logistics industry. And they have learned over the years that there's a high correlation between industrial production and manufacturing and their daily business volumes. The problem is that we didn't see anyone in the marketplace really accurately predicting industrial production and manufacturing. So we set out on a study, and that's what John and I did, is we went in and we we used that analytical modeling approach that I just told you about. And we went in and we discovered 18 to 20 different economic metrics that when we throw them into an analytical model, allow us to predict industrial production and manufacturing. And when you think about overall manufacturing, my real goal initially was just to target the biggest, broadest measure of manufacturing we could get, which was, again, industrial production and manufacturing. We strip out energy and utilities, and, and that's the metric that we came up with. But we kind of discovered a little bit of an interest underneath that, and in that segment is a durable category. And in the durables category, then, we then get categories like automotive, aerospace, computers and electronics. We get electrical equipment and appliances, primary metals, fabricated metals, um, and I'm probably missing a few, but uh, machinery. And, and those categories are what we decided to go into model initially. So... Those are the models that we have built today. We have, again, took us two years to build them. It stretches over and it models 20 years of data moving forward. Um, and then we forecast today about 18 months out ahead and in advance. So we can understand really the business cycles and the changes and, you know, where we see each of those individual sub industries going. What is very interesting about 2023 is many economists and publications are trying to forecast the future, but we are seeing really interesting mix of different data points and sometimes contradictory data points too. So I'm sure all of our listeners are at the edge of their seats right now in, in asking you this question also. What do you see as, as, you know, the final forecast of 2023 with the data that you have today? Yes, yeah, so it's interesting. Um, so I travel around the country and I do economic talks. And, you know, as you said, I mean, you could go as doom and gloom as you want to go, or you can go as optimistic as you want right now. And, and both of them, you can use data to, to, to prove that those two viewpoints are probably correct. So I have my personal opinion and then I have what the analytics and the models are telling us, which is really fantastic. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of optimism actually just in the last 24 hours with some of the global PMI measures that come out. And what I do is I typically don't just look at the data itself as we get these manufacturing reports from around the world, but I, I listen to the commentary and manufacturers around the world surprisingly came in February a lot more optimistic about the future than maybe what we're thinking. Um, it was fantastic, but even though some of the data was a little bit you know, not growing as fast as we like. We're seeing things like we're seeing supply chain backlogs getting completely cleared so that companies can order materials and count on those materials hitting, you know, their factory gates when they ask them for, uh, for those, for those products. We also know that the backlogs of manufacturers are getting better. So they're clearing those backlogs. We saw a little bit of an improvement in a number of different global markets around new order development. 
So we saw domestic orders like in China, for instance, start to surge. And then even Chinese uh, export demand surged. In the U.S., we saw a little improvement in new orders across both domestic and, you know, export demand. Um, you know, but that's just the most recent data. But then when you look forward and we think about companies working their inventories down and getting their supply chains back in cycle, um, maybe for the first time in three or four years, we're going to get into this continuous reorder cycle where manufacturers are able to count on their order volumes. They can better predict their labor demand. They know what their resource demand is going to be. And so we get back into more of a steadier flow that we can all handle. We can manage and uh, it improves profitability and improves just you know, our overall outlook in the, in the economy. And, and so I think once we clear these backlogs, the demand side of things is still very strong. And we'll talk about that, I know, in a few minutes. But if you look at consumer inflation-adjusted retail spending, we're still spending like like money's water, right? You know, even though we're using credit cards and racking up some debt, if you look at consumer spending, it's still extremely high historically, much, much higher than it was prior to the pandemic. And so that consumption is going to continue to keep the demand for manufactured goods climbing. And um, and so that's why I'm a little more optimistic about the future. And then as we talk about the models, I think the models are helping us see that future. Let's talk about the demand then. I think uh, for a lot of us, we spend time with manufacturers and also buyers on the automotive and aerospace sector. And in the last few years, I hear insane, you know, really interesting data point in the supply chain. For example, uh, a freight from Asia to the West Coast used to be around $2,000 per container. At the peak of the pandemic, it got up to $25,000. And you might still not be able to get on one of those those containers and things have since since really eased eases up and and then the next thing we see and here is metal production as well as the demand so like really surges and the supplies were became a little bit more unstable with you know the geopolitical issues coming out from Russia and Ukraine. So when it comes to automotive and aerospace, your report seems to suggest very stable outlook. Can you talk us through a little bit more about what you found? Yeah, so it's interesting. So I, I can't give away the secret sauce of what 22 economic metrics are buried down in each of those two models, but I can tell you a couple things from them. Um, what we're learning is that um, any of the slug, you know, sort of like a sluggishness in the in the current models, like over the next three to four months, is really supply chain related. So again, as you said exactly, you're right on with the war in Ukraine, you know, disrupted things like titanium production and some of those core materials that we use in aerospace manufacturing. And so those companies had to go through the process of trying to find new suppliers and try to rebuild some of those supply chains. And the models are actually picking that up. And what they're picking up is just a little bit of sluggishness in the first part of 2023, but then this rapid growth rate that comes into the back half of 2023 and into 2024 as those supply chains are back in cycle. Because as we know, and Kathy, as you said, the demand side of like the aerospace curve is very strong still. You know, even if you look at the civilian side and commercial side of aircraft manufacturing, they've got a really bright horizon over the next decade. You see the demand being very strong with back orders stretching out for a significant period of time. That doesn't include any defense spending that we can see in the aerospace sector. So that piece of it, any sluggishness in the models right now, I can tell you are related to inventory and supply chain issues, but the demand side is very strong. Automotive is very similar because we had the same situation where, you know, we've had microchip shortages and now that has turned into you know, other component shortages. We even had a shortage of tires recently. And so as those supply chains try to get back in cycle and try to get all the component parts that they need to be able to produce 
enough automotive vehicles to be able to meet demand. Um, we're seeing just again some of this soft, we call it just a sluggishness, but it's really that supply chain trying to dig out of its challenges to really hit a growth rate that matches its demand rate. So automotive could really produce, the OEMs could produce for the next couple of years and still not get enough cars on dealership lots so that, so that Keith can walk in and pay cash and carry a car, right? So I can't go in, pay for it, decide which one I want, test drive them and, and drive off with one today. It's tougher to do that in the, in the new car market. But, um, you know, that supply chain will get back in cycle. But the models are showing, if you can see a visual image of it, showing super strong growth rates above the 10 and 20 year trend lines for those growth rates, especially in automotive and then aerospace isn't far behind it. But two of the strongest durable goods sectors that we at least see in our models. It's a really great segue into also what we're seeing domestically in the USA. With the Inflation Reduction Act, there have been so many new tax incentives for consumer to strive for electric vehicles. And we know that a lot of manufacturers are busy retooling their production line to customize their production line for also EVs. Now, this is a great segue to us to actually chat about computers and electronics. They're all really kind of intricately intertwined. In addition, a lot of us are working from home. Some of us might be going back to the office, but the demand for computers and electronics is still just going to go up. Um, what should leaders know about and watch out for this year when it comes to computers and electronics? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, and, and you're exactly right. You know, the EV boom and the exciting thing about that is it really hasn't even hit us yet, right? So EV market share, I think, is less than 5% of total uh, U.S. auto sales. And so it still has a long way to go. And so we're just on the really bleeding edge of that. So that's exciting alone. Um, but then, yeah, you're right. You know, you throw in the computer demand and we still have, if you were to look at a, like a historic curve of computer production in the United States, it looks a little bit like the Dow Jones industrial average from like the 1920s all the way to today. It's just a nice steady growth curve that continues to go up every single year. And computers and electronic production in the U.S. just had this nice steady growth curve over the last year or so. So, so we went into the lockdowns and then the lockdowns. Okay. We did everything. You know, Keith, Keith probably did what the average American did, right? I went in and I had to replace my desktop because I was working from home. I had to go get a new laptop. And so I upgraded all that equipment and I'm not yet back in a repurchase cycle, but corporations are now hitting a stride where they are back in a replenishment cycle and a replacement cycle. And so just literally capping the last maybe 60 days, we're starting to see an improvement and a surge in computer production and manufacturing demand. And you're starting to hear the, the OEM starting to hear you know, some of the, some of the chip makers start to talk about a resumption in demand. And we're starting to see some foreign markets see computer demand start to ratchet up. But this whole notion of, um, you know, worker shortages. So think about that for just a second. I'm kind of, kind of throwing a right curve at you, but worker shortages and the fact that we can't find enough labor. Our unemployment rates are still at the lowest they've ever been in. Um, and when we are trying to sort of account for that and challenges in still finding enough workers, even though we have a little bit of a slowdown coming, companies are using automation and robotics to go get there. And that's how they're going to increase their productivity and offset this worker shortage problem. And so we, that's where we see a lot of investment in commercial size computer systems and uh, you know, trying to replace the ERP, moving things to the cloud, growth in data centers. Uh, you know, we need in the United States 77,000 smaller micro data centers to be able to handle the volume of data that's coming over the next 10 years. Um, we're woefully behind, right? And, and so even aside from like the hyperscaling, you know, those big mega hypercenter data centers, 
We just need all these thousands and thousands of you know, smaller micro centers that can process data a little bit closer to where we're consuming it. And so um, that's what's really helping drive. And now we're finally seeing the computer um, and electronics industry really starting to surge. And that demand is going to be very, very strong. Um, and I'll throw one last thing in there before I, before I throw it back to you. But um, we are seeing some defense related and some national security related um, concerns about where we source products, especially when it comes to some electronics and some of that manufacturing is going to have to find its way back to the United States for stability reasons. Just supply chain continuity alone and trying to keep supply chains intact. The last two years have taught us that we don't have enough semiconductor production in the U.S. And so, you know, all of that just is starting to build momentum. And so, even as you said, with the infrastructure bill and, you know, some, throwing some federal money and federal investment on top of that and the you know, the CHIPS Act and a bunch of other components, I think you're going to continue to see some really strong growth environment for that sector. And that's what the models are showing us. Yeah, to add to what you're saying, we did some great interview with some robotic leading companies. And the, the information that we gather is that most manufacturers in the USA, although for the physical plants, they have the capacity to work uh, for about 8,000 hours uh, per year, only about three to 4,000 hours were actually utilized because of labor shortages. And um, there had also been a lot of really interesting new innovation around um, robotic implementation and CapEx financing. For smaller manufacturers, what's difficult for them could be the upfront investment cost. Um, and it's hard for them to, you know, break through the uh, cash flow cycle to invest for the future. But there are innovations around um, a new business model where they can do robots as a service. So you pay as you go and you can also leverage the expertise of, of technology, technology based centers and have that sort of, you know, we call it industrial commons around you. It's almost like we are, we're truly going through. Uh, manufacturing renaissance. And tying back to your other point, I think we really care about our industry. And for people that are outside of, of our sector, they may not understand that there are some amazing jobs. Uh, for example, when we're when we're chatting before this recording, we're saying that, hey, did you know that for CNC machining, you need to be a programmer? So you actually can program to make physical things, not just digital experience. And it is a sector where we can make decisions consciously to really Really set us up for future success economically, environmentally, and socially. Now, on that note, Keith, you have such a great experience and background, and we always love to ask our leaders uh, what advice they can give to the listeners. What's the best piece of career advice you have ever received? You know, I've, I've thought about this a little bit, and I'm going to go back to a story from my father. So, my father told me at one point in time, he said, you know, sit down and I want you to write down the two things you love to do the most. So number number one thing you love to do the most. Number two, second thing you, you love to do the most. And he said, you know, probably the first item you write down is probably better to be your hobby. Right. And so mine happened to be like drive cars fast. Right. So, yeah, probably a hobby, probably not a career. Right. I'm not going to be like an F1 driver. Uh, but my second one was it, really in the intelligence uh, realm. And, and so I was able to go out and, and really pursue that. And so 
I think manufacturing in the United States is really going to offer people some really fantastic opportunities because like you just said, I think if it, if you have like an interest in IT, what a better way to break into the IT world than going into an industry that is trying to understand how to capitalize and maximize the use of, like you said, just cutting edge robotics and automation. And, you know, with so many of the manufacturing facilities that we have today in modern world are clean room production, right? Where we're walking in and clean clothes and we're going home and clean clothes and we're running computers all day and we're learning computer skills and and those skills unlike maybe our grandfathers and our fathers way back in the day where we learned how to to maybe move one little piece of metal the certain a certain way and that became our specialty today we're being so trained in such a broad-based way that we can take the skill sets that we that we learn from one manufacturer and we can apply it to so many different industries not just even in manufacturing even though we want to keep them in manufacturing right but uh you know, but but you have that new skill set that allows you to break in, get trained, learn, and build a skill set that you can apply to so many different industries. And so, um, again, I, I don't think being an F1 driver is in my future. I think that, that ship has probably sailed. I can watch <laughs> it on TV and dream about it a little bit, but um, I'm probably pursuing the second thing that I love the best, which is uh, this whole intelligence. I, room, I, so. I truly think that, you know, knowledge is power and being able to democratize intelligence and insights to help small, medium, and even large business grow is very satisfying. So we're grateful for what you do for the industry. Now, for our listener, they might now be like twitching. It's like, hey, how can I find out more about the graphs, the report, the output? Um, Keith, can you tell us more about where we can find out more about your company and the resources we mentioned today? Yeah. So we're a little Midwest firm. And so we have these little Midwest values, we call them, right? And so we have a free trial. So people can go on and get a free trial. And I, I don't have to remember. I don't know. I don't remember if it's 30 or 60 days, but no obligation. You don't have to use a credit card, none of that kind of stuff. You just go on, you sign on. And after 60 days, it just goes away if you don't like it. But um, yeah, you can go to um, www.asisintelligence and it's A-S-I-S intelligence.com. ASIS stands for Armada Strategic Intelligence System. And uh, you go out and you sign up for a pre-trial and you get, you know, all of our reports and uh, you can look at all those subsectors and there's a little bit of a write-up in there. We give companies the data uh, to be able to use in, you know, model against their own internal data so that they can, you know, do projections and do forecasts. And um, so it's, uh, I, I hope people go out and at least take advantage of the pre-trial and just check it out. But I really appreciate the opportunity, Kathy, to, to get that out there and share it with them. So. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe, share with a colleague or leave a review.